Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. So why don't we jump into it? A couple things this week. First off, uh, there's an article in the Pulse about Sturgeon Bay's signage. Yeah, may not sound super exciting to a lot of people. It's signs, right? (laughs) So Sturgeon Bay has embarked on this thing. They call it a wayfinding signage initiative to better communicate to visitors where things are in the city and to even come into the city. It all seems sort of, all right, how, why is that a big deal? Until you picture yourself driving on 4257 into Door County and you're coming into Sturgeon Bay and the way it's set up now, like there's a sign that says like, welcome to Sturgeon Bay, historic district and stuff, but there's not like a cohesive here's Sturgeon Bay signage, like you see this kind of symbol or colors and you kind of know that that's like a public area that they're directing you to. There's nothing like that. And, you know, if you're driving in on 4257, you got the industrial park on one side and lumber yards and car lots on the other side. Not to say that any of those things aren't necessary, but it doesn't exactly scream great tourism community, come and spend the day and have fun as a visitor. Right. right? And when I'm thinking about my my route up through Door County, I don't even think that I'm really hitting Sturgeon Bay that much because you drive by like Target and then you keep going and Carlsville is the first thing that really stands out. It's like you have to turn off of the highway to get to like 3rd Ave and and that whole area. And that is 100% the problem they're trying to to grapple with. Okay, is this something that, that happened when the highway was built and they're taking it upon themselves now to change things up or is this something that has happened for other reasons? So, brief history, they, I can't remember the year, but in the 1970s, until that time, there was one bridge in Sturgeon Bay. So you had to go, and that was the Michigan Street Steel Bridge, you had to go into town and go over that bridge to get north. In the 70s, they built the highway bypass and so that, for what called for years, the new bridge, And that's the Bayview Bridge that everyone's familiar with going on. But what that did is it took everyone around Sturgeon Bay. You didn't have to funnel through the city at that point. And unfortunately for Sturgeon Bay at that point, that was right as the tourism boom was going nuts in Door County because of the National Geographic article and kind of like the the modern era of tourism up here. So you had all these new people introduced to the county and generations of them just bypassing Sturgeon Bay. And Talk to Pam Seiler at the Sturgeon Bay Visitor Center, and this is a problem she's always grappling with. She Basically, she says, we have people who call or they stop here and they say, how much further to Door County? And they're like, right. We're, we are Door County. We have all these things. We have more marina slips than anybody. We have a third of the county's shoreline is in the city of Sturgeon Bay alone. Nine, about 98 miles of the waterfront shoreline is there. But right. most people wouldn't guess that, and right. most people don't realize that. So their first thing that they got to grapple with is how do we get them off of the highway and into our city to even have a chance at getting them to see what we have? And so part of that is these, what they call their vehicular tar- targeted signage on the highway, new gateway signs on the north end and the south end, 
and new signs at particular streets to guide people, hey, this way there's museums, there's restaurants, there's waterfront, there's shopping. And you think about that, it, it seems really base, but there isn't anything really like that now in Sturgeon Bay. You're just going by, like you said, Target, Walgreens, a lot of billboards, a lot of chain restaurants and chain hotels. You're not seeing anything that says small town Door County right. as long as you're staying on that highway. Unless you're going over the bridge and taking a concerted effort to look down that waterfront and not paying attention to the road. Right. Sidebar, would you consider Door County to be a peninsula or an island? That's a good question. Because the ship canal cuts all the way through. Yeah. So technically... it's Technically, it's an island. It's surrounded on all sides. It's my island. Is it because the ship canal is a... That's my horrible Scottish accent. It was good. Is it because the ship canal is a man-made canal? Does that mean... Or is it because we're connected via a bridge? So there's like, there's a land connection. Does that make it... Does that make a difference? I'm I'm going to pass on this and say this is a new t- podcast topic for us next time around. We right. should actually bring in somebody who can definitively answer that because it is a good question of like, does the fact that it's man-made impact that? Does the fact that it's bridge connected impact that? Or are we just, you know, because like, is it Captiva Island down in by Fort Myers Beach? It's still called an island. It's connected by a bridge. So sure. I guess maybe we are we are an island now. Yeah, the Door County Islands yeah. sounds. That's the new tourism push. Yeah. Is like come to the Door County Islands. Old school, new school. Old school peninsula. New right. school islands. It creates a, a tropical feel yes, to the sure. vacation. So, what's the plan with the new signs? Okay, so they're going to put up these new signs, and what the I talked to the the firm that helped design these, and they said, hey, we we didn't want to go with like a distressed wood beachy look to these signs because in Surgeon Bay. And this is no offense, Sturgeon Bay, but you wouldn't deliver on that promise. If you were trying to give the image of a beach community, Sturgeon Bay is not. There's not like a main downtown beach like a lot of the towns in Door County, but there is a big waterfront. There's a working waterfront. There's kind of this, I think they described it as like this gritty fun feel, like uh, this gritty industrial sense. And they wanted to give that industrial look, but also some elegance to it to kind of connotate the, the sailing history and, and maritime history. So it kind of plays off of that. And then once they guide you into downtown, what they want to do is guide you to the best parts of downtown. And for most people, that's going to be the waterfront. If you're walking around the Sturgeon Bay waterfront, and I spent some time yesterday just strolling around, there is actually a lot of public waterfront. I talked to Marty Olenicek, the city planner, and got a bunch of data about like how much of that downtown area is actually publicly accessible. The problem is there's nothing that really tells you that it is. As you're walking around the waterfront, you're sort of always taking these hesitating steps like, is this condo property or can I can right. I stroll down here? And is some old man going to yell at me if I, if I walk in front of his suite here? If you go by Bridgeport condominiums down by Otumba Park, literally as you stand at the entrance to the, the public walkway, there's one sign that points public walkway to your left, but nothing says that you can go to the right, even though that's public in front of Bridgeport. I don't know if that's purposeful because they didn't want people going in front of the motel or if it's just like a bad planning at some point. But then also the sign for that says public walkway is about a third the size of the sign next to it that informs you of all the things you're not allowed to do huh. in that area. So it's just like the messaging, it isn't nice, <laughs> right. to put it bluntly. Yeah, it makes it difficult to find out where you can actually go. And the hope would be that you've got, you know, tourists and people just walking around and exploring and being able to be moved from place to place with proper signage. Yeah. Uh, are they actually coming up with, like, new graphic design for, like, how they promote the town and stuff like that, too? Yeah, a lot of cool new graphics. They said they wanted it, like, colorful and playful, you know, inviting, not just, like, in, not purely industrial but with like that hint of that. And then they're 
they're kind of using two different signs to give the impression of the different sides because uh, the city is split in two by the bay right. and and the canal. Now they create two districts. And instead of calling them east side, west side, because they're trying to get away from the two sides thing, right. and more of like east waterfront, west waterfront districts. So they're kind of different colors and different logos for those two sides. That, but also they play together and they're trying to connect them. And yeah, I love this as a reporter of going into a story and thinking, not much here. I'll write a little blurb on it. Big deal. Signage. But then after walking through it with the designers and Pam and really walking around Surgeon Bay and trying to see what the problem that it's trying to solve, I think it's a really important and potentially like really impactful step for the city. Because if you think, if all they do is get 1% more people who are driving by that city and never stopping in Surgeon Bay, to get 1% of them to come in and spend a little time in Sturgeon Bay and maybe they just get lunch or maybe it means the next time they go, maybe we'll stay here. Maybe they hang out all day. It doesn't take a lot of people spending just your average daily spend in a community to more than pay for the signage and really start to impact somebody saying, oh, they maybe they create a new tradition of stopping in Sturgeon Bay or staying in Sturgeon Bay. Right. Yeah. It's interesting when you put it that way. Have they made any like renderings of the signs available? Yep. Public. So those will be on DoorCountyPulse.com. They're also going to be in tomorrow's print edition as our, our main feature in this week's issue on the color pages. I was going to do it on a news page, but that the news pages have, uh, they're all in black and white. So we flipped it to the feature page so you could see some of the colors of that signage. Awesome. So Miles, uh, you wrote an article this week about public transportation in Door County. Yeah. And uh, one of the big things that you kind of tackled was this idea that public transportation can't work up here. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a long held belief. I've been in so many meetings and conversations at bars and coffee shops and conversations with municipal leaders where you talk, talking, well, we need public transportation. And they're just like, that won't work here. Uh, Uber won't work here. Lyft won't work here. You can't do shuttles. But hasn't public transportation worked in the past to a certain extent? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, if you go back even into the 80s, like the Greyhound would come up here. You could get picked up in Egg Harbor at Haynes Gas Station. You could get picked up in Sister Bay and the Lake and Bayview bus line used to run. And a lot of times farmers who would work in the shipyards take the bus down to Sturgeon Bay to work in the shipyards. Really big in like the World War II era. And that used to connect to the Chicago Northwestern Railroad or something like that that would come into Sturgeon Bay. And you could connect from Sturgeon Bay to a bus line to get north. So you could feasibly take the train to Door County um, from Chicago at that time. This so, is many years ago. But. Right. But if it worked back then to a degree, then why wouldn't it work now with, you know, they had a fraction of the population actually using it back then. And, and now that population and the tourist population that comes in is so much bigger, you'd think that there'd be a much bigger market for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, where have we spent all of our money as a state and as a nation when it comes to transit over the last 50 years? It's almost, I mean, highway first, highway, 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 roads, roads, roads. So when my grandfather was first coming to Door County in the late 30s, early 40s, they were taking, it would take a seven to eight hour drive from Chicago to Door County. Now that's a four and a half hour drive because we've put in wider roads that make it easy, easier to travel faster, um, highways that bypass downtowns. And um, it's just a lot quicker to get up here. So cars became much more convenient to do that with versus taking a train or taking a bus. So that alone we, we geared everything toward doing it with cars. But I think now, like, so many people want the transportation option. And a lot of these discussions I'd have came up as a result of people getting DUIs and people getting killed in, in drunk driving accidents. And yes, we could try and change the culture and tell people, do not have more than two drinks. Do not, like, 
don't drink and drive. And we, we do that and it's helping, but we can also provide ways for people to do the things that we know they're going to do and quit fighting that battle and instead try and provide options for people to not have to get behind the wheel. So that would be a part of it. But everyone would always say, yeah, but nobody will do it. People are too wedded to their cars. Last summer, Sister Bay came up with a good shuttle system with a regular schedule and it didn't work perfectly, but it worked really well, especially in the evenings, according to Louise Hausen. They had about 4,000 riders on their Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, shuttles that they would run over a course of three months. Almost all of those came in the evening. Daytime riders, they need to tweak some of those schedules because not a lot of people used it during the day. But they had good routes, regular pickup times. People could count on it. Then they, in Egg Harbor for Pumpkin Patch, Horseshoe Bay Farms, that organization offered a park and ride from Horseshoe Bay Farms into town. 500 people used it. In Fall Fest, Bailey's Harbor added a shuttle bus from Bailey's Harbor to Sister Bay. And between that and the Sister Bay shuttles, they had 2,000 people use it. And even like Door County Half Marathon, when we started that race, we thought we have a big problem. There's not nearly enough parking spots down by Nicolay Bay for people to park in. And so we came up with a shuttle. And then we thought, how are we going to convince people to use a shuttle? Like people are just going to want to drive. Turned out everyone wants to use a shuttle. And we actually, we actually have excess parking in the, that we don't use in the park now because so many people like the convenience of this shuttle that picks them up at their lodging establishment or at a, at a group park and ride and gets them in and out of the park and they don't have to think about their car on that morning. So now we use it as a marketing tool. We market the race in part based on, hey, don't worry about your car. We'll take care of everything for you. And it, it's what tourists expect in tourist destinations now. So, Well, and it's a big ad too. Like if you're looking for places to stay and you find like, if there's a place near Egg Harbor that's going to shuttle you in and out, like from your lodging to downtown Egg Harbor, you can then be like, hey, you know what? This is a great place because one of the nights on vacation, I want to go and I want to do like a pub crawl down there yeah. and visit all the different places. And now I can do that. And that's going to be like a big plus for the towns that are doing that because there's a lot of people who are going to say like, oh, look, they have a shuttle. I'm going to stay here rather than staying in some other place where I know I'm going to have to drive no matter where I go. Right. I think you're absolutely right about that. And, and tourist destinations that have shuttles, Bar Harbor, Maine is one that they have a a bus that gets people around the island because it's much like Door County. It's it's hemmed in on all sides by water and there's there's housing shortages there too. So they have to bring people from off island to the island to work. But if you bring a thousand people onto the island in cars, it's just going to clog everything up. There's just not enough parking on Bar Harbor for something like that. So same thing in Door County. When, you know, Sister Bay is looking at, oh, how do we solve the parking problem? We'll take Fall Fest. If 2,000 people rode those shuttles, and let's say one out of four of them would have, like you would have needed a, a car for every four people. That's 500 cars that weren't looking for parking spaces in and around Sister Bay on Fall Fest weekend. Now, if you go and try and build a 500 car parking lot, I mean, that's going to take up a lot of real estate. You're creating a lot of impervious surface. You're creating a lot of water runoff problems. And it's expensive to pave. And if you're doing that parking lot in a main prime piece of real estate, like downtown Sister Bay, you're losing all the real estate taxes that would come from the development there. So the cost of running the shuttle in Sister Bay this last year, the operational cost, not counting like buying the, the bus that they used, $27,000. You, if you had to add that in parking for all those people, you're going to lose way more than that just in property taxes that, that a development might bring in that you instead traded for a parking lot. Nobody markets parking, right. but you can market a shuttle. Yeah. Another one of those situations where there's multiple different uh, avenues to approach a solution for it. Uh, but the worst way to approach a solution for any problem is to just say that there is no solution and it can't be done. Yeah, 
that, oh, we're not going to try. And that's what I was, that's what I love about what, what's happened in this case. You know, you have Louise Housen and Sister Bay and Maluska McCarthy and Sister Bay. You have in Bailey's Harbor, Bryn Swanson and Katie Homan, who once Katie and Maluska came up with the idea of, hey, let's get a shuttle to and get a bus to connect Bailey's Harbor to Sister Bay for Fall Fest weekend. Bryn jumped right on board and, all right, we're going to go get sponsors. Let's do this. And within 24 hours, they went and got the sponsors. And this was like two weeks before the event. And a lot of times how we approach these these issues is we talk and talk and talk and study and study and study, or maybe we commission an engineering firm or something or a consultant to come in here and we pay them 75 grand to tell us whether we should have a transit system or not. And sometimes it's great when when people take like these low these pieces of low-hanging fruit and go, you know what, we're just gonna try something and we're gonna try and turn it around really quick. Cause you know, Bryn and Katie in Bailey's Harbor could have said, okay, we'll think about this and do it next year. Or, you know what, we're going to bust our butts and try and see if we can turn this around in two weeks. And I just love that that attitude. And I think that's just, so now we have the data. We don't have to think about it for a year about, right. oh, can we get people to use it? It's like, no, you know what, we just did it and people used it. And now we can move forward and make it a better service and um, tweak the things that didn't work. Right. Miles, why don't we take a break? And then when we come back, Celeste Benchwell is going to join us. Uh, she wrote a couple articles for The Pulse this week that are pretty interesting, uh, including... Sevastopol has released renderings for their uh, the remodel that they're doing uh, based off of the referendum from last year. Yeah, those renderings look pretty cool, too. Okay, thanks, Miles, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Grace, there is nothing that I love more than lighthouses and state parks. Oh my gosh, no way, me too. I just wish that there was, I don't know, some sort of way that I could capture my love for those things in a physical way that maybe I could put on the wall or something. Well, you are in luck, my friend. If you visit DoorCountyPulse.com slash shop, you can find exactly those items. You mean we actually put together a series of state park posters and an incredible collection of lighthouses all in one piece of artwork that you can buy online? That we did, Andrew, that we did. I didn't know that we had an online shop. What else can I get there? You can also buy some Paul stickers, Door County Living stickers. You can subscribe to Door County Living or the Peninsula Pulse if you are not in Door County. You can buy our annual Door Wedding Guide. And you can also buy uh, Lighthouse postcards if you do not want the full poster, but might want to add a little something something in your gift package. I'm looking at the shop right now and I just noticed that we have Peninsula Pulse hats with the dog logo and everything. Grace, I think I am sold. Where can I go to find all of this stuff one more time? www.doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Okay, we are back. I'm joined with Celeste Benchwell. How's it going, Celeste? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. So you wrote a couple of articles this week, uh, one of which was about going green in Egg Harbor. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so there's this thing called a green tier legacy community. And it was kind of started with the DNR. So it's a program where cities can become green pretty much and at least do what they can to do so. Egg Harbor is the first green tier community in Door County. So I guess being part of that, you know, you do things like switch your streetlights to LED lights, put recycling cans out on your walkways and yeah, just do everything you can to be more environmentally conscious. So is this like a certification program where they had to meet certain standards in order to be certified as a green tier? No, I think it was more a voluntary commitment. You just kind of, it's not an amendment, but you sign some sort of, you know, dealio. Then from there, you just do what you can pretty much. 
right. doesn't cost anything either. It's just it's more a status than any sort of like certification. Yeah, pretty much. And what are some of the things that Egg Harbor did to become a green tier community? They, you know, switched all their lights to LEDs, put in a ton of recycling bins. They have something called the Aggie Bike Program, free renting bikes so that you can bike around. When you visit, they'd prefer if you park your car and walk around and ride these bikes that they have available to people. And they have a seed library and they're working on putting solar paneling in at the Crest Pavilion. And they have a bunch of, you know, programming and stuff at the Crest. So ton of different stuff. Are these changes that, like, the typical visitor would notice on their way through? Or is this kind of like an underlying way to just kind of clean things up and make sure that they're putting their best foot forward without doing any sort of, like, revolutionary changes? Yeah, I think it's the latter at this point, just kind of, you know, working under the radar a little bit. But I know that they're trying to implement more green practices at restaurants and stuff, which I think people that come visit will begin to notice if they haven't already noticed. I mean, it's a great marketing strategy, honestly, to promote yourself as a green community because I talked to some people like Kathy Navis, who owns Greens and Grains, and she was saying like a lot of the visitors that come here are pretty, you know, educated and invested in being environmentally conscious. So if they know that things like that are happening, they're more likely to come visit. Is being attractive to tourists the only reason that a community would want to do this? What were some of the reasonings behind Egg Harbor's choice to try to become a green-tiered community? Yeah, I think it's both. Jess Ranke, who is the director slash manager at the Crest, was telling me, you know, we have such beautiful water nearby and we have to do everything we can to conserve it. But a lot of what makes the county run is tourism. And if we don't have, you know, if we don't conserve the things that attract tourists to our town, we're not going to have a town pretty much. How did Egg Harbor go about trying to fund some of these changes, like switching to LEDs? How how do they raise the money for that? A lot of what they do is through grants. So they'll have companies in and assess where they're at with different things. And based on those assessments, um, the town can apply or the village can apply to different grants and things. And they've done a lot of the smaller projects at this point that didn't really cost a lot of money. Um, and that was kind of the first step in this whole process. And now that they've done those small projects, they're going to try and tackle the larger the ones that are going to cost quite a bit more money. But they do have trustees that they have now gained their trust. And I think we'll be able to pull off some of those larger costed projects. Do you have an example of any of those larger cost projects that they might be looking at in the future? Yeah, so the wastewater treatment plant or their facility, they're going to install some more solar paneling there as well. Well, they're trying to. I, don't, I think it's just in the beginning stages, so I don't have too many details there, but that's uh, like projected $450,000 project. Um, but again, they can apply to different loans and grants to cover costs. Well, and when you're investing in renewable energy, too, you're going to see a return on that investment. Right. Uh, it, it might not be immediately, but down the line, you're definitely going to be saving money in the long run. It's funny, Miles and I had talked about like solar panels on homes, and I think we're both still like weirdly stuck in the past where I think like, oh, solar paneling would be cool, but it costs a lot of money. They're huge, and you need to spend, you know, so much money on them to get a return in like 25 years. Mm -hmm. But that's the way that it was in the 90s, and that's totally not how it is now. Now you can, if you were to invest a little bit of money, you could probably power your entire house 
and start mm-hmm. seeing those returns within a couple of years. Solar panels are much more efficient now than they were then. It's just weird how like the the cultural zeitgeist, I don't know if it's caught up all the way. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it hasn't. Maybe I'm just still thinking about it in the way that I used to think about it. Right. No, I totally agree. Even just like as myself as a person, I wish that I could make more moves to be more envir- environmentally friendly, like buying more reusable like sandwich bags and um, not using so many feminine products, you know, stuff like that. But it's also like I'm not in the place where I have enough funds to, you know, fund that sort of thing. But maybe someday. <laughs> Do you want to be the type of person who posts like on Facebook at the end of the month holding like one tiny trash bag and was like, this is my entire <laughs> trash bag for a whole year? I wish, but I don't think I could do that. <laughs> Sounds cool, though. Another thing that you wrote about this week, uh, Sevastopol released renderings of some of their upgrades that they're planning to do to the school. Tell me a little bit about what you learned from that. Yeah, so I visited the school um, on Monday, and I got a tour from the Kyle Ludke, who's the superintendent, and he kind of just showed me all the plans for what's going to happen. Basically, they're taking two sections of the building down, so essentially where we were standing in his office was, wasn't going to be there in the spring. So they're taking some older sections of the school down and adding new space and a new parking lot, new safety features, classrooms, things like that. So, Well, and a little bit of background, too. Sevastopol is a really old building. Wow, it's old. It, yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it's over 100 years old, but it's very close to that. Yeah. And last year, Sevastopol had a $25.1 million referendum to upgrade the school. And a lot of people looked at that number and thought, that's a massive referendum. Like, there's Mm -hmm. no way that's going to pass. But it passed overwhelmingly. And that's kind of a, you know, a a nod to how Door County supports education in such a big way. And and these are the fruits of that. This is the project that is coming from that referendum. So Mm -hmm. it's apparent that, you know, there was a a big need for this. But how, how dire was that need? Pretty dire, I would say. He gave me a tour of the whole school and... Wow, is that place a maze? He was like, you're never going to find your way through here without a guide. Just throughout the school, there are random just hallways that get super narrow. There are staircases that like lead to a bathroom so that no one in a wheelchair would be able to access this bathroom. Right. They're just like three steps for literally no reason. And there's just some doorways that don't really fit together well. And there's this random medieval door in one of the hallway entrances not a lot of natural lighting in any of the upper classrooms it's it's in dire need of some uh adjustments <laughs> i haven't actually been into sevastopol but like i've i've toured some pretty old schools and one thing that i notice is a lot of like uh, classrooms where you have to walk upstairs like up like three stairs to get into them or just really small doors or very narrow hallways that lead to bathrooms like you were saying mm-hmm. a lot of those things are being updated to become ADA compliant, correct? You mentioned that multiple times, so I think that's definitely one of their highest priorities. But in in doing that, in upgrading for the ADA compliance, you're also aesthetically improving the school and also just making things uh, easier to use and to navigate rather than, you know, these tiny hallways and these small doors and that kind of stuff. Is there an effort through this project to modernize certain things? Like I said, I haven't been in Sevastopol, but I'm imagining that it's still, you know, blackboards mostly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are are there efforts to to bring things forward in that way as well? Yeah, for sure. So another one of their priorities is to create classrooms that are more suitable for hands-on learning. And their teachers were actually a large part of that conversation. They had 
biweekly meetings where teachers could you know, present their ideas about what would work best for them. So these classrooms are actually super cool. It'll be like a bunch of classrooms next to each other for a grade level. And in between each room is going to be like a garage door sort of thing that can move up and down. Um, so if two teachers on the grade level or the entire grade want to do a collaborative like project or something, they could just like raise those garage doors and all be in like a giant room. Right. Um, so it's very flexible. And like the doors will have a couple sets of windows, the lower half being um, tinted so the kids can't get distracted by what's happening in the other room. But the tops top windows are clear so that teachers can like be communicating with each other all the time and there are also these things called cgis it's pretty much like a little space for group work and those are in between two classrooms on the corner so it'll be like you can access them from the hallway and from two classrooms at the same time they have windows so that teachers can keep an eye on what's going on in there but yeah multiple uses for that group work let's say class is going over a test and one student didn't take it they can go take the test in this little room. If there are kids that need speech therapy or work with an ELL teacher, anything like that. So the room has multiple different purposes, which is really cool, I think. So. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be, you know, enhancements to security and all of that kind of stuff, too. It's interesting because Gibraltar is doing some remodeling at the same time or, or right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. I know that they're putting in a library. I've been mm -hmm. seeing that. I don't know the progress on that. How far along is Sevastopol in the planning process right now? They're about 74% um, done with their plans. So like all the layout and design is pretty much set in stone at this point. And by December, they'll probably have 90% of the plans ready. And it, like I said, at this point, it's just kind of the backbone of stuff like wiring and HVAC systems and electric stuff, you know, just right. all the little things. Cool. And is there a date that's been set for the groundbreaking? Yeah, so spring after the, you know, Door County weather, whenever that clears up, March or April, I guess. And their biggest construction will probably be the summer of 21, I think it was. And then they're hoping to move in September of 21. So it looks like this is going to take multiple years to do. And one of the things that you had written in your article is that school is going to basically have two seasons. You're going to have class season where students are in session and then you're going to have construction season mm -hmm. when they're not. So this is going to be kind of a long project, but something yeah. that's probably very overdue and something that's really exciting for the students and the staff at Sevastopol. For sure. Well, I think that's just about going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much, Celeste, for chatting with me, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, for sure. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.